Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Wow, here we are at the end of the first week of 2024. Can you believe it? Where's the year going? <laughs> whizzing by, absolutely flying. What, where'd that week go? I've got no idea. Out of curiosity, I wonder how many of you made a New Year's resolution? Just, not a trick question. I'm not, not going to trap you. Just hands up if you made a New Year's resolution. Okay, there's a, a few, a few. Not real popular these days. Um, those of you who made a New Year's resolution, how many of you have broken them already? No, don't, don't answer that. Don't answer that. That's what we do, isn't it? We make them and we break them. I, um, I searched some of the most popular New Year's resolutions. Do you know what the most popular resolutions are every year? Do you know what they concern? Yeah? Yeah? Fitness and finance. Uh, they're the most popular resolutions. Well, I searched some and um, these probably weren't popular, but uh, I get some of them and uh, these relate... Some of them relate to food and some of them relate to finance. I love this one. Um, One person said, I resolve to leave my past behind me. So if I owe you money, I'm sorry, I've moved on. (laughs) I like that. I like this next one. And this is a resolution I think I can make. I resolve to believe that donuts have no calories. (laughs) Love it. Love it. All the Krispy Kremes you can eat, I'm into that. Uh, I resolve to gain enough weight. Now, this is unusual because most resolutions concerning weight have to do with losing weight. And this person says, I resolve to gain enough weight to get on the biggest loser so I can lose some weight. (laughs) Uh, I resolve to save some money for a rainy day. That way I can shop online instead of going out shopping in the rain. (laughs) And this this is my absolute favourite. My New Year's resolution is to stop procrastinating. But I'm not starting that until next week. (laughs) New Year's resolutions. Whether you're in the habit of making them or not, uh, I want to propose two resolutions that I think most of us can adopt today. Um, The first of those resolutions is to resolve in 2024 and beyond, but for 2024 as we stand at the beginning of it, uh, to resolve to know Jesus above all else. Now, this was a resolve that Paul made as he entered the city of Corinth. And we're going to look at a a passage in 1 Corinthians. It's a a letter that he wrote to a church that he founded on his second missionary journey. Now, many of you I know will be familiar with Paul, uh, formerly Saul of Tarsus, uh, a staunch opponent of Christianity. In fact, the most violent of opponents that the early church encountered uh, in those early days. Um, In chapter 7 of the book of Acts, we see Saul uh, holding the garments of those who stoned Stephen to death. Uh, So there he was consenting to the death of that Christian Stephen. Uh, In chapter 9, we see him on the road to Damascus with the intent of making this 200-kilometre journey. Uh, That's an astounding thing in itself, but he he was wanting to make this 200-kilometre journey to round up any Christians, any believers in Damascus and bring them back to Jerusalem that they may be persecuted and tried in Jerusalem. But as he was on his way to Damascus, he encountered the risen Christ 
and his life changed in an instant. And uh, rather than becoming an opponent of Christianity, he became one of the greatest allies of Christianity. And later in his life, he set out on three journeys uh, into the Greek world where he preached and planted churches. Um, God's got a great sense of humour. He was a persecutor of churches. Now he's planting churches. And um, that, that was Paul. And as he travelled around on his second of those three journeys, uh, he came to the city of Corinth. And as he entered the city of Corinth, he had a clearly defined goal. And that was to know Jesus above everything else in his life. Let's look at this letter that he wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, just the first couple of verses. He says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So this was Paul's resolve, to know nothing while he was with the Corinthians except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now that's really an astounding statement when you consider all of the opportunities that were available to Paul when he entered Corinth. I want to look at just a few of those opportunities. More opportunities, but I just want to look at three in particular. When Paul entered Corinth on this second of his missionary journeys, he had career opportunities that were available to him. Corinth was a city of economic boom. It was probably the second foremost city in Greece. Well, not probably, it was. Uh, Athens was the foremost, Corinth was close behind it. And um, as I said, a place of economic boom, career opportunities abounded for Paul. Um, have a look at this map. If you can see Corinth there. Uh, it's narrow, it's located on that narrow little isthmus of land uh, that uh, connects the Peloponnese with mainland Greece. And situated where it is, uh, it controlled trade and travel north and south by land and east and west by sea. So anyone wanting to travel north and south from the Peloponnese to the mainland Greece or vice versa had to travel through Corinth. There was no other option. You had to pass through Corinth. So lots of money passed through Corinth in those journeys. Uh, same with east to west or west to east, uh, joining the Ionian Sea with the Aegean Sea. Uh, any traveller by ship had to stop at Corinth, unload their ship, travel by road across that narrow strip of land and reload on the other side. Um, you don't have to do that nowadays because there's the Corinthian Canal. Uh, I think that opened in about 1883. And um, ships can just pass through there now. But in Paul's day, if they wanted to avoid that dangerous 700-kilometre journey around the coastline, uh, they had to unload at Corinth take the journey by road and reload on the other side. So there, were lo there was lots of money flowing through Corinth continually. Not only that, it was also closely allied to Rome, which was uh, the economic capital of the ancient world. So there was no shortage of money in Rome. And I guess you could liken it to the New York of the ancient world. So... Paul could have been a successful businessman in Corinth. 
It's interesting, uh, back in the text, we don't have to flick back to it, but back in the text that we read, Paul says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Now, the thing is that Paul could have. Uh, Paul was well-educated. We know that he was a Pharisee, and uh, Pharisees were the educated elite within the Jewish community. We also know from the book of Acts that um, Paul was educated under a man by the name of Gamaliel, and Gamaliel was the leading scholar in Paul's day. So he was a well-educated man. Um, he, was, he was their equal. Uh, the Greeks loved their philosophers. They loved their orators. They loved their academics. Paul was their equal in every way. He could have been a successful businessman. But what did he say? He said, when I came to you, I had one interest, and that was to know Jesus and him crucified. Could have been a successful businessman. He had everything that it takes, but he wasn't interested. He wanted to know Jesus and him crucified. Another opportunity for Paul as he entered Corinth, uh, if he so desired, was the opportunity for wild living. Now, Paul wasn't wired that way, we know, but that opportunity was there for Paul if he so desired. Um, Corinth was a known centre of sexual sin and crime. Uh, The history books have not been kind to Corinth. Um, They record that uh, every street corner within Corinth accommodated at least five prostitutes and that venereal disease was rampant through Corinth. Muggers and robbers were as thick on the ground as were prostitutes. It was a terrible city in that regard. In fact, we could probably refer to it as the Los Angeles of the ancient world in that regard. So known for sexual sin and vice was Corinth that a saying was actually coined in the day, to act like a Corinthian. And so if someone was acting in a debauched way or an underhanded way, uh, someone would say of them, oh, look at you, you're acting like a Corinthian. That was the reputation that Corinth had. So Paul could have satisfied his sensual desires if he chose to. But again, what did he say? When I came to you, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. There were also opportunities for adventure. Corinth was a place of opportunity. It was a place with much happening. It was a buzzing city. It was alive. And if Bill Laurie was there back in the day, he probably would have said it's all happening. In fact, Bill Laurie's probably old enough to have been back there in the day. Um, but it was all happening in Corinth. It was a busy city. I don't know if anyone's ever been to the Taste of Tasmania. Um, I went a few years ago and it's, it's just buzzing. It's electric. And Corinth was like this. And I guess in that regard, it could probably be likened to the Paris of the ancient world. I might be stretching it a little there, but um, uh, I'm trying to give you an understanding of what Corinth was like and the opportunities that are available to Paul. Uh, Opportunities for adventure, for excitement everywhere he looked. And coming from a little backwater like Tarsus, as Paul did, and uh, growing up in rural uh, Israel, um, I can imagine that the bright lights... uh, would have been an attraction to many, but not to Paul. Again, when Paul came to Corinth, he said, when I was with you, brothers, I resolved to know nothing 
except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Every opportunity that was available to Paul, he turned his back on and said, nope, just want to know Jesus. It's all I want to do. My son, our son, um, turned 30 uh, about a year or so ago and he was a single man uh, for all of those years. And um, probably the reason for that was because he's an absolute sport tragic. He is a nut when it comes to sport. Now, my two boys grew up sitting on my lap watching cricket and football and supercars and, and golf and whatever else. Uh, could come on TV. Uh, so they grew up as sport mads. Well, Nathan grew up normal, but Danny, uh, <laughs> but Danny is a sport nut. I've created a monster with this guy, I really have. And uh, like I say, it's probably the reason he remained single for 30 years. Uh, he was married six weeks ago. But um, uh, beautiful Christian girl, lovely girl. Uh, and I was going to share that this morning, but you have to put up with me now, so I didn't think you'd want to put up with me twice. Um, but uh, very exciting time in, our, in the life of our family. Um, but Danny, um, he, he knows everything about every sport. He doesn't just take on a sport. He researches it to its nth degree. Uh, I, we've been to so many V8 supercars events um, I grew up watching Bathurst. I can't remember who won last year. He remembers every winner throughout history, every team, every team principal. He can tell you anything about statistics to do with Bathurst. Football's the same. Uh, he knows everything about every player. Again, I'm exaggerating, but you get the picture. He is sport mad. He has folder after folder after folder after folder on his computers uh, to do with each of his favourite sports, and there's many. I could be home on a Thursday night or a Friday night watching footy and my phone will be going crazy beside me. Danny is texting me non-stop. Uh, did you see that goal? Did you see that kick? Did you see that pass? Uh, wasn't so-and-so fantastic? That was brilliant. I could be watching the V8s at home and um, Danny's saying, did you see that overtaking manoeuvre? Did you see that off at turn six? Did... No, Danny, you won't stop annoying me. I'm not seeing anything. It's <laughs> driving me mad. But he just sport mad and uh, messaging me the whole time. I just kicked that microphone that you kicked. Um, might need a new microphone. Put that on the budget for next year. Um, yeah, and it just annoys me the whole time with sport. But um, last year, something changed. He fell head over heels in love. And the things that were important to him were no longer important. And um, I could watch a year of sport in peace. <laughs> it was magnificent. <laughs> Until the point it actually got boring because he wasn't te texting me. And uh, I would message him on a Thursday night and uh, watching the football, real football, NRL, rugby league. And uh, I'd, I'd message him and, oh, Danny, did you see that try? And he'd message back, no, Jacinta and I are walking along the beach. You know, might be watching footy on Friday night. Oh, Danny, did you see that goal? Uh, no, Jacinta and I are up on Mount Wellington watching the sunset. I mean, Danny doesn't watch sunsets, he watches sport. Well, what's happened to this kid? I have no idea what's happened. And, you know, even one event that we never miss throughout the year is the TCR, the touring car racing down at Simmons Plains. We've gone to it every year that they've put it on. And um, this year, last year, uh, Danny didn't go because he chose to go on a church camp with Jacinta's family. 
He, Danny would not attend my funeral if it was on the same day as TCR. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. He's <laughs> gone mad. But he had fallen head over heels in love and all of those things that were so important to him just kind of paled in comparison. He just wasn't as interested in them as he once was. They were still important but just not as important anymore. His priorities had changed. And that's how it was for Paul as he entered Corinth. He, on the road to Damascus, encountered the risen Jesus and his priorities had changed. He is not the same person anymore. You know, as a Pharisee, learning would have been such a huge thing for him. Absolutely huge. And people are like that. They get into education and that's good. And uh, they, they love it and they want to learn and learn and learn. And Paul gets to Corinth and he says, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom. Not interested. I just want to know Jesus and him crucified. His priorities had changed completely. He wasn't interested in all the business opportunities that were available, the action, anything else that Corinth had to offer, and it had heaps to offer. Paul said, not interested. Just want to know Jesus. You know, in all of our lives, and not just this year, not just next year, but every day of our lives, things are going to call out to our attention. You know, family... Work, school, relationships, all of those things are important. They're very important. But Paul said, Jesus is my priority. Those things are important, but they're not my priority. And uh, I wonder today, if you wouldn't, at the beginning of 2024, if you haven't done already, make Jesus the priority in your life. You know, not just important, but the priority and again, family's important. You can't neglect family. You can't neglect work. You can't neglect any of those things that I've said. There are some things in our life that need to go. Some things are too important to go. But I wonder if over and above all of those things, your resolve would be that of Paul's. I resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was Paul's first resolve as he entered Corinth. His second resolve, first resolve was to know Jesus. His second resolve was to share Jesus. Paul's time in Corinth, and he spent 18 months in this city. We'll see that in a moment. He spent 18 months there. Uh, Paul's resolve was that while he was in Corinth, he was just going to preach his heart out and share Christ at every opportunity. Uh, let's look at these verses again. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 1 to 5. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Again, it could have been if Paul chose to go that way. Uh, but he says my... Um, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest in man's wisdom, but in God's power. Just a curious little verse there, verse 3. Uh, Paul says, I came to you in weakness and fear 
and with much trembling. I wonder why that was. Well, many have said uh, that it was because of the events that happened in other cities prior to arriving in Corinth. If we can just go to the next slide, thanks, Bev, and we'll have a look at that map again. Um, on his second missionary journey, Paul was up in Thessalonica. And as was his custom, he goes into the synagogue, he preaches in the synagogue, and in Thessalonica we read that the Jews were so enraged with Paul's preaching uh, that they formed a mob and they started a riot with the intent that they would drag Paul out and hand him over to this riotous mob so that that riotous mob could do whatever they want with Paul. But when Paul's companions heard about that, uh, they... They got him out of the city and Paul fled to Berea, which is just to the southwest there of Thessalonica. When Paul got to Berea, um, we read in the scriptures there that the Bereans were far more accepting of Paul's message. In fact, it said they were very noble and uh, what they did was when Paul preached that Jesus was the fulfilment of Old Testament scripture, uh, the Bereans got their scriptures, uh, the law, the prophets and the writings and they searched the scriptures to see that what Paul was saying was correct. Uh, but when the Jews back in Thessalonica got wind of that, they chased Paul out of Berea. Um, again, they wanted to lynch him and Paul escaped Berea, went down to Athens. He had a mixed response in Athens uh, and then ended up in Corinth. And so many say that this is the reason that Paul says, when I came to you, I came in weakness and fear and much trembling because of what happened in those previous cities, the abuse and uh, the persecution that he copped in those cities. And I guess it's reasonable to think that that might be the case. Um, I guess all of us have had disagreements with people, but I don't think any of us have had a riotous lynch mob chasing us from one city to the next. That would have been quite terrifying. Uh, so possibly that's the reason why Paul entered Corinth in fear and trembling. But I've got a gut feeling that that's not why Paul entered in fear and trembling. I've read the, the New Testament for a few decades now and studied it for a few decades and that's not the image of Paul that I have in my mind, that Paul would be fearful of man. Uh, when I read the New Testament, the book of Acts and the letters that Paul wrote, I find a man who was fearless, a man who feared no man. Uh, he feared he didn't invite persecution, but he didn't fear it. And in fact, what happened to Paul in both Thessalonica and Berea was no different to what hap happened to him in many of the other towns that he visited. Um, back in Damascus, uh, as he went to Damascus to find Christians to persecute them as an unbeliever, he encountered the risen Christ, continued on to Damascus, and we read in that city uh, that the Jews there conspired to kill him. And Paul's companions put him in a basket, lowered him down over the city wall so that Paul could escape the persecution of the Jews there. And it seems that Paul just shook off his garments and went down to Jerusalem. Um, in Pisidian Antioch, uh, we read there that the Jews were so filled with jealousy... Uh, that they again stirred up a persecution against Paul. And again, he seemed to brush it off and just move on to the next city. This is what he did for three missionary journeys. Just brushed it off and went on to the next city. In Philippi, 
um, he and Silas, his companion, were flogged and beaten and thrown into prison. And what we read there is that around about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Can you believe it? Flogged and thrown into prison and they're singing. Um, this does not sound like the man, like a man who fears others and even fears persecution. Now, I don't get it. I only have to have a paper cut and I'm in hospital for three days. But Paul just did not seem to fear persecution. I think that what Paul is referring to when he says, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling is something other. And I'll come to that in a minute. But what I want to say for the moment is that uh, when Paul entered Corinth, he had two defined resolutions, to know Jesus above everything and to share Jesus at every opportunity. And in order to see how that second resolution, sharing Jesus, played out, we need to go back to the book of Acts. So let's do that. Acts chapter 18, and we'll start at verse 1. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, who was a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all of the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So here's Paul's resolve unfolding in Corinth. Again, he's there for 18 months, and it says that every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade both Jews and Greeks. Now, this does not sound like a man who left Thessalonica and Berea and Athens in fear and trembling because he feared what the Jews might do to him. Uh, he entered the Sabbath there, he preached there, but here he is in Corinth now, straight back into the, into the synagogues, uh, seemingly unconcerned about what went before. And every Sabbath he did this for 18 months, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook off his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be upon your heads. I am clear of my responsibilities. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptised. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed a year and a half teaching them the word of God. So that was Paul's 18 months in Corinth, preaching at every opportunity, sharing Christ again at every opportunity. Um, two resolutions to know Jesus and to share him. And he did that every chance he got. So why then did Paul come in weakness and fear and much trembling? This is my gut feeling. Uh, now I can't prove this, it's just my gut feeling. 
But my gut feeling is that Paul was so dedicated to this cause, the cause of sharing Jesus. He was so dedicated to making Christ known within those Greek communities that he bore the burden of that responsibility. And he bore it heavily. It's not a burden that God placed upon him, but it was a burden that Paul felt. He felt the urgent need to preach the gospel and to see souls won for Christ. Why do I say that? I say that because others like Paul have felt that throughout history. Many of you will know um, uh, C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, um, great Baptist preacher from the 1800s, uh, fearless and bold in his proclamations. Uh, he feared no man. Uh, he was just forthright in what he said and uh, he didn't hold his punches. And uh, this is what Spurgeon said. Um, these are his words. Now, I had these words um, when I began pastoring a number of years ago. I had these words in a picture frame on my desk for many years, so I'm uh, very familiar with them. But this is what Charles Haddon Spurgeon had to say. He said, I have preached the gospel now these 30 years and more, and some of you will scarcely believe it, but before I come to address the congregation in this tabernacle, I tremble like an aspen leaf. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever read anything of Spurgeon uh, or read any of his sermons. This is not a guy who fears any man. But he says, um, when I come to this congregation in this tabernacle, I tremble like an aspen leaf. And often in coming down to this pulpit have I felt my knees knocked together. But listen to this. Not that I am afraid of any one of my hearers, but that I am thinking of that account that I must render to God, whether I speak his word faithfully or not. On this service may hang the eternal destinies of many. That is a remarkable quote. I've often felt my knees knocked together, not that I'm afraid of any one of my hearers, but I'm thinking of that account that I must render to God, whether I speak his word faithfully or not. On this service may hang the eternal destinies of many. I think Paul felt this. I think Paul felt the weight of responsibility to be faithful in the calling that God had placed upon his life, to share Jesus with others. And I think he felt the, the, the weight of souls lost and that was the burden that he bore when he entered not only Corinth but every other city. And I think that's why Paul said, when I came to you, I came in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Paul had a fire in his belly and it was a burden. Again, not a burden that God had placed upon him but a burden that Paul bore. And I think this quote from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 testifies to that. Paul said later on in the letter that we've been reading from, when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I think that speaks to the burden that Paul felt to share Christ. Just ask the worship team to come back up and we'll finish with this. Uh, I love the story of Peter Cartwright. Peter Cartwright was a another 19th century uh, preacher. He was a Methodist preacher, a revivalist preacher. And um, like Spurgeon and like Paul, he was bold. Um, he didn't pull his punches. Uh, he told it how it was. 
And uh, one day, President Andrew Jackson visited the congregation of Peter Cartwright. And uh, the leaders in the church, uh, what do Methodist churches have? Do they have elders or deacons or whatever? Um, the leaders of the church uh, pulled Peter Cartwright aside and said to him, look, we've got President Andrew Jackson in the congregation this morning. Do not say anything that will offend or upset the president. And uh, off they went and took their seats within the congregation. Um, when the time came, I can imagine that these guys, knowing Peter Cartwright, were as nervous as an alligator in a handbag store. And um, they were waiting for Peter Cartwright to say something upsetting or, or offensive. And uh, when the time came, Peter Cartwright came up, uh, took the pulpit and addressed the congregation. He said, my understanding is that President Andrew Jackson is in the congregation this morning. President Jackson will go to hell if he doesn't accept Jesus as his Lord and Saviour. <laughs> I can imagine elders and deacons diving for cover. They would have been ducking under seats. They would have been terrified at what Peter Cartwright had said to the President of the United States of America. Um, but at the end of the service, Andrew Jackson, uh, the President of the United States of America, came up to Peter Cartwright and shook his hand and said, Sir, if I had just 10 men like you, I could rule the world. If I had just 10 men like you, I could rule the world. Imagine what would happen this morning if just 10 of us resolved to share Jesus at every opportunity. Now, there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. I know that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is imagine if just 10 of us said, you know, this year, 2024, uh, and beyond, but for 2024, as we stand at the beginning of it, I'm going to be bold and share my faith whenever the opportunity arises with family, friends, colleagues, schoolmates, strangers. Again, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it, but can you imagine if just 10 of us said, I'm going to do that throughout this year. I'm just going to share my faith freely and willingly. Now, I know that many of you do that. Uh, imagine if all of us did that. Imagine what an impact that would have on this community, this church, and on us. So they were Paul's two resolutions, to know Jesus and to make him known, to know Jesus and to share Jesus. And I'm going to leave those with you today. Uh, and some of you may want to take those up. And uh, whether you're in the habit of making resolutions or not, uh, I think they're resolutions uh, that we as God's followers can take to heart and take into 2024. And you can't put the cart before the horse here. Um, it starts with knowing Jesus. And it's as we know Jesus and grow in relationship with him and love him and grow deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper with him, that that desire to share him grows stronger and stronger and stronger. So again, I'll leave that with you. Resolve to know Jesus resolve to share Jesus. We've got a great saviour and he needs to be known. Thanks, guys.